This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. LDL cholesterol levels denote the level of cholesterol floating around in your plasma, not the level of cholesterol in your cells. Don't forget, cholesterol beyond a certain threshold is a toxic molecule. Every single cell in your body has all of the machinery and synthesis mechanisms to make all of the cholesterol your body ever needs. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Wellness Fact versus Fiction. So this week is actually going to be a solo episode, and we're diving into one of your most requested topics. Drum roll, please. Cholesterol. So if you're new to the podcast, my name is Danielle Bellardo. I am a cardiologist, and as a cardiologist, lipids and cholesterol are a topic I discuss all day, every day with my patients. And so since this is such a complex and nuanced topic, it's actually going to be covered over multiple episodes. But in order to get to the nitty gritty of cholesterol, we need to start off with an episode to build a foundation of the terminology. So we're all on the same page. So this episode is really your cholesterol 101. So what will you learn by the time you finish this episode? So we're going to cover what is cholesterol and is it true that your body needs it and needs you to consume it? How does cholesterol cause heart disease? Is it true that LDL causes heart disease because some influencers on social media say otherwise? What does a lipid panel tell you? Meaning when you go to the doctor and get blood work done, what exactly are you looking at? What's the difference between total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, and triglycerides? And how does each one relate to cardiovascular risk? And Also, what are some of the values within those certain parameters of cholesterol that we're looking to target to get an optimal lipid panel? What is APOB, LDL particle number? And what's the difference between small and large LDL molecules and how do each of these impact risk? And much, much more. It's a pretty in-depth, detailed episode. I put a lot of time and thought into preparing for this one for you guys because I really wanted to reach all of your most common questions about cholesterol. Now, just remember, there are going to be future episodes on different nutrition interventions to reduce your cholesterol, the different medications that we use and how they are affecting your cholesterol and how they reduce your cholesterol as well, the different mechanisms of action. Those will be all further episodes um, and even including an episode on LP little a. But this episode is your cholesterol 101. And I really... I went through hundreds of your suggestions and questions about cholesterol, and these are the top things you wanted to know. So let's get into it. So it's important to note that in this episode, as with all episodes of our podcast, the information provided is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice. 
As always, consult your own medical professional or healthcare provider for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I do hope this episode empowers you to better understand cholesterol and have a more productive conversation about prevention with your healthcare provider. Okay, let's start. So what is cholesterol? What are lipids? So first of all, you may hear these words interchangeably. So let's kind of dive into what it actually is. Lipids are organic molecules, which are insoluble in water. And before you start to get some PTSD about biochemistry and different things with organic chemistry, I just want you guys to know that some of this gets really sciencey, but I promise you, hold on and stick through and it'll all make sense, even if you end up listening to the episode twice. <laughs> Lipids are essential for cellular life, so they play many important roles in maintaining the health of an organism. And so arguably one of the most important functions a lipid performs is as the building blocks of the cellular membranes. Other functions include energy storage, insulation, and cellular communication. Your cells either have to make lipids or have lipids delivered to them, but Beyond a certain cellular concentration, certain lipids can be toxic. So the human body has to have a way to catabolize and eliminate them. The most common lipid that people know of is cholesterol, and it's the only sterile required for human life. Cholesterol is an integral part of cell membranes. It's highly involved in cell signaling, and certain cells also change cholesterol into um, steroidogenic molecules, such as hormones. So then question number two is, well, is it true your body needs a certain baseline level of cholesterol? You know, oftentimes some of the misinformation on social media is that low LDL cholesterol is bad for you. The simple answer is no. LDL cholesterol, which we will get into great detail later on this episode, but LDL cholesterol levels denote the level of cholesterol floating around in your plasma, not the level of cholesterol in your cells. Don't forget, cholesterol beyond a certain threshold is a toxic molecule. Every single cell in your body has all of the machinery and synthesis mechanisms to make all of the cholesterol your body ever needs. So you don't actually need a delivery of cholesterol from other areas of your body. Each cell can make cholesterol. This is why you can have hypothetically an LDL cholesterol of zero and suffer no effects. You're not depriving your cells of cholesterol. Well, what about your brain? Have you ever heard the myth that your brain needs cholesterol? This is also a myth for a reason. See, your brain is enclosed in a system. You have something called the blood-brain barrier. So every cell in your brain, your neurons, astrocytes, they acquire absolutely no cholesterol from your peripheral blood. Your cells in your brain make all the cholesterol it needs. So again, if your LDL cholesterol is incredibly low, this is not harmful for your brain. Your brain makes all the cholesterol it needs. So how does cholesterol cause heart disease? So later on in this episode, we're going to go into the details of the differences between LDL cholesterol, HDL, triglycerides, ApoB, and all of those specifics. But for now, let me just give you an overarching understanding of what we know about how atherogenic lipoproteins, which includes LDL particles, gets into the endothelium of your vessels and causes heart disease. So atherosclerosis is not a normal part of aging. Individuals with optimal cardiovascular risk profiles and health-promoting lifestyles can live into old age with minimal risk of atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis is a process where plaque forms in your arteries and vessels. This can happen in your arteries and in your heart, causing coronary artery disease or a heart attack. This can happen in arteries in your neck and brain, causing a stroke 
or dementia. This can happen in the arteries in your legs, causing peripheral artery disease, or even the vessels to organs like the penis, causing erectile dysfunction. Atherosclerosis is caused by several adverse factors that promote cholesterol deposition through the endothelial layers of your vessels into what's called the arterial intima. So it goes through the endothelial layer into your arteries. This process occurs slowly over many decades. ApoV lipoproteins, which we'll discuss the nuances in great detail, I promise, later on. But again, for now, keep in mind for simplicity that we're talking about LDL here. So ApoV lipoproteins, they carry cholesterol into the arterial wall. The greater the blood plasma concentration of ApoV, the greater the diffusion through the endothelium into the arterial intima. Now listen, this process is affected by many non-cholesterol risk factors that increase the risk. And this is such as diabetes, smoking, or high blood pressure. All three of those risk factors, they weaken that endothelial layer and increase the risk that cholesterol will wedge its way into the arteries. But remember, this is the most important point. You cannot have atherosclerosis without LDL cholesterol and ApoB lipoproteins. So even if you have diabetes and hypertension, et cetera, although all of those risk factors are important in mitigating heart disease prevention, you can now understand why we discuss cholesterol first and foremost, because without cholesterol, without atherogenic lipoproteins, you cannot have atherosclerosis. That is what you need to deposit itself in the vessel wall. That's what causes plaque buildup, and that's what causes heart disease or vascular disease, peripheral vascular disease, erectile dysfunction, if it's a vascular erectile dysfunction, dementia, many certain kinds of vascular dementia, and so on and so forth. So next question, well, what about all of the social media influencers who claim that LDL cholesterol does not cause cardiovascular disease? This is such an important myth to bust. I can't tell you how often I hear this one. Um, unfortunately, it's gained a lot of traction in the nutrition community, in various different keto groups, or in various different carnivore groups that LDL cholesterol doesn't cause atherosclerotic uh, cardiovascular disease. And this couldn't be more false. So in a fantastic consensus statement from the European Atherosclerosis Society consensus panel from the European Atherosclerosis Society, this was published in the European Heart Journal, and it was called Low-Density Lipoproteins Cause Atherosclerotic Cardiovascular Disease, Evidence from Genetic, Epidemiologic, and Clinical Studies. They eloquently explain the massive amount of robust evidence we have that shows LDL cholesterol is causative in atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. They actually assessed whether the association between LDL and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease fulfills the criteria for causality by evaluating the totality of evidence from genetic studies, prospective epidemiologic studies, Mendelian randomization studies, and randomized controlled trials of LDL-lowering therapies. So as you know, we never make any assumption based on just one case study, or even just one study in general. Usually we're looking at the totality of evidence to make the best kind of decision. And that's what we've done in cardiology with cholesterol and heart disease risk. 
Rare genetic mutations that caused reduced LDL receptor function have led to markedly higher LDL and dose-dependent increase in risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Whereas people with rare variants leading to lower LDL levels are associated with a correspondingly lower risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. This is seen time and time again. And separate meta-analyses of over 200 prospective cohorts, Mendelian randomization studies, and randomized controlled trials, including more than 2 million participants with over 20 million person years of follow-up and over 150,000 cardiovascular events demonstrates a remarkably consistent dose-dependent log-linear association between the absolute magnitude of exposure of the vasculature to LDLC and the risk of developing atherosclerosis. And this effect appears to increase with increasing duration of exposure to LDL cholesterol. And we're actually going to discuss this a little bit later on when we talk about ideal LDL levels. Both the naturally randomized genetic studies and the randomized intervention trials consistently demonstrate that lowering LDL cholesterol reduces the risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease events. Consistent evidence from numerous and multiple different types of clinical and genetic studies unequivocally establishes that LDL causes atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. I highly recommend you read the paper that I just cited for you if you want more details on this topic and the research that they covered in great detail and reviewed to confirm what we've known for so long, that LDL cholesterol causes heart disease. And as I mentioned before, this doesn't mean that other risk factors, such as hypertension and diabetes and smoking, don't make the risk for cardiovascular disease even higher. But you can't have atherosclerosis without atherogenic lipoproteins at a certain threshold. Okay, now it's time to get into the nitty gritty of the lipidology and biochemistry here. And guys, stick with me. I promise it'll be worth it. By the end of this, you'll have a better understanding of what a lipid panel means when you go to the doctor. And when you see misinformation on social media, you'll sound like a scientist. Um, when you're at a dinner party and someone tells you something about uh, HDL cholesterol and you know it's false, you'll be able to correct them. So You'll be able to tell what the difference is between total cholesterol, LDL, HDL, triglycerides, and ApoB, and how each one relates to cardiovascular risk. So just hang tight, okay? So let's start with some terminology. So low-density lipoprotein is otherwise known as LDL. So what's the difference between LDL particles, we'll call this LDLP for short, and LDL cholesterol? So LDLP, LDL particles is an LDL particle. And LDLC is the cholesterol carried in LDLP. So the LDL particles are the ones floating around your bloodstream. And then the LDLC is the cholesterol that's floating around in your bloodstream being carried on these LDL particles. They are not the same. And in some specific diseases, they actually may be discordant. And we're going to discuss that later. But LDL particles under physiological conditions contain usually about 80 to 90% cholesterol, and then 10 to 20% of triglyceride. This is why historically LDL cholesterol has been a good marker for atherosclerosis. But in an era of obesity and insulin resistance, there may be discordance. And we're going to come back to discussing LDL in much more depth later in the episode. But just wanted to start out with some of that terminology. And if you need to pause and rewind and listen to that again before you continue, feel free to do it because some of these terms can get confusing 
but getting it down straight will definitely help you further on in the episode. Similarly, but to be honest, less relevant here, HDLP stands for HDL particles, and HDLC is the cholesterol carried within the HDL particles. So each HDLP, so each HDL particle, is small and carries only a small amount of cholesterol. What about triglycerides? So triglycerides are three fatty acids stuck on a glycerol molecule. These are high energy molecules. Their function is as an energy transporter. They go through the blood and are trafficked to tissues that use energy like muscle or store energy like in adipose tissue, which is fat. So since lipids are hydrophobic, and remember, this is a physical property of a molecule that means it repels water. So you might be wondering, how do these lipids go anywhere in the body if everywhere they're traveling in the body is through water, right? It's through our blood. Well, they're bound to proteins, and these are called lipoproteins. So whenever you've heard me say before the term atherogenic lipoproteins, now it's all going to start to come together. So they're bound to these proteins called lipoproteins, which make it a water-soluble lipid transportation vehicle. All lipoproteins have a core of this hydrophobic cholesterol ester and triglycerides surrounded by a hydrophilic surface coat of phospholipids and apolipoproteins. So simply put, lipoproteins can be split into two groups, atherogenic lipoproteins. So these all either have an ApoB48, okay, and you don't need to memorize these numbers, so just stick with me. But they can have either an ApoB48, which is chylomicrons or chylomicron remnants, and you don't have to worry much about this now for this episode. Or they can have something called an ApoB100, and this includes VLDL particles, IDL particles, LDL particles, and LP little a. And we'll get into this in more detail later. Then you have lipoproteins, which have unclear atherogenicity, which we're going to get into later, but HDL, for example, which contains a lipoprotein called an ApoA1 or an ApoA2. HDL, which are high-density lipoproteins, they carry less lipids, ApoA1. And they can go in and out of your artery wall, but aren't believed to contribute to atherosclerosis the same way as ApoB lipoproteins, so the ones we were just talking about that are atherogenic. So now we're going to focus on ApoB. Apolipoprotein B, otherwise known as ApoB for short, and you guys have heard me talk about this time and time again in numerous podcast episodes. ApoB is what we consider the atherogenic lipoprotein. So these are the ones we know that cause plaque buildup and atherosclerosis. These are the ones we know that go through the endothelial lining into the arterial intima and cause plaque buildup and heart disease or vascular disease. As I mentioned, this includes LDL particles, and some others you probably haven't heard of before. So this would be something called VLDL, which stands for very low-density lipoprotein, or IDL, which stands for intermediate-density lipoprotein. So ApoB molecules can move through the plasma, enter the artery wall, and be taken up by white blood cells in the artery wall, and then they form foam cells. So what does this even mean? Well, cholesterol is then all over the artery wall, which leads to this plaque buildup and cardiovascular disease. There's only one ApoB per particle, one ApoB for one LDL particle. So essentially, when you're measuring ApoB, 
you're measuring your LDL particle concentration. Now, keep in mind, this is different from your LDL cholesterol measurement, as we'll discuss later, but just take a mental note. So why don't you hear more about this thing called very low-density lipoprotein, or VLDL? When they enter the plasma, they only last for a few hours. And then intermediate-density lipoproteins, known as ILDLs, these last for only a range of a few minutes, whereas LDLs last for three to five days. So typically 90% of the atherogenic ApoB particles floating around in your blood are LDL particles because they last longer and they're not transient like the other ones. So how does your body clear ApoB lipoproteins and things like LDL? Well, one way is on your liver. There's something called an LDL receptor. It binds to anything with an ApoB on it and it clears it. But remember, once ApoB particles exceed a certain threshold, the odds get higher that they create plaque. We will have an entire episode about how you can lower your LDL and ApoB lipoproteins through diet, through lifestyle, different medications, and how that works. But for now, just understand that the terminology is the basic goal of this episode. So now you know what ApoB is. And let's now talk about what's in a lipid panel. So since now you understand what we mean when we say atherogenic lipoproteins, we're talking about ApoB lipoproteins, so LDL particles. How do you interpret a standard lipid panel then when you go to see your doctor? Well, let's start with what is total cholesterol? So you open up your lab report and it says your total cholesterol is 220. Yikes. What does this mean? It's in red. It's in bold. Well, this is measuring the total cholesterol of all of the lipoproteins are carrying in your bloodstream. So this means the cholesterol being carried by the LDL, IDL, VLDL, and HDL. And as I mentioned, 90% or so of the total cholesterol is carried by your LDL particles and not in your HDL, VLDL, or IDL. So essentially total cholesterol is looking at all of the cholesterol that's currently traveling around in your plasma. Next, what's HDL cholesterol? Is this the good cholesterol? Not so fast. This is also a myth and much more nuanced. So HDL cholesterol, as reported on your lipid panel, is essentially if you took all of your HDL particles and weighed the cholesterol in those particles. So the population-based generality of high HDL is good and low HDL is bad absolutely never applies to an individual patient, and it's quite outdated. HDL is actually quite an enigma still to this day in cardiology. In some individuals, very high HDL can be a risk factor, but we currently do not have HDL functionality tests to evaluate HDL more clearly. So by itself, HDL cholesterol that's low is often a risk factor, but basically is what we call an epiphenomenon. If someone's metabolically unhealthy, a low HDL can be indicative of high ApoB. But for example, in someone who's incredibly metabolically healthy, say, for example, someone who follows a very high fiber, low saturated fat plant-based diet, they may have low HDL too, but they also have very, very low LDL and very low ApoB, which is the most important for reduced cardiovascular risk. No HDL metric can serve as a goal of therapy. So all trials that have attempted to raise HDL have never shown any cardiovascular benefits. And this includes three large randomized controlled outcome trials on niacin, CDP, HATS, and HPS Thrive. 
which all demonstrate niacin doesn't work to reduce cardiovascular risk and neither does raising HDL cholesterol. We're in our infancy of understanding HDL function, testing cholesterol efflux capacity and CVD. It's the last enigma of HDL we've yet to figure out. And so why do we no longer focus on HDL? It really tells us very little. So the idea that you're in the clear because you have a high HDL is incredibly outdated. So we focus on ApoB and LDL for cardiac risk. Now, what about HDL triglyceride ratios that people talk about to use as a risk predictor? Well, this is also another myth. In general, almost all lipid and lipoprotein ratios should be avoided. And especially if that ratio includes any HDL metric. We now know that increasing HDL metrics improves the ratio, but has no relation to lessening the risk of major adverse cardiovascular events. So anyone who tells you that it's the triglyceride HDL ratio that matters most, you can tell them why that's false. Okay, next, on to what you may think and be correctly assuming is the most important thing we're going to talk about today, which is LDL. And we've touched on LDL quite a bit so far, but let's rewind and get into more of the details. So as we discussed before, LDLP is an LDL particle and LDLC is the cholesterol carried in LDL particles. So LDL cholesterol, what this is, if you get your lipid panel and it says LDL cholesterol, because a standard lipid panel is going to have LDL cholesterol, it's not going to have LDL particles. Although you can get a lipid panel that does have LDL particles, but that's a different kind of test. But a standard lipid panel will show LDL cholesterol. And what it is, is if you took all of the LDL particles and weighed the cholesterol in those particles, that would be your LDL cholesterol. It's a lipid profile metric used to estimate ApoB. Remember, 90% of your ApoB lipoproteins are going to be LDL particles. So it is a good surrogate marker in many cases, and we'll discuss when it's not. So what is a good LDL cholesterol? You know, we use this to ascertain cardiovascular risk. And we discuss LDL cholesterol targets differently if we're talking about primary versus secondary prevention. So in primary prevention, this is an individual who has not yet developed atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So if you can be in the bottom 25th percentile for LDL, you're at a lower cardiovascular risk. So if you have an LDL cholesterol under 70, you're probably in the bottom 20th percentile based on population data. Versus an LDL of 190, which means you're more likely in the 90th percentile. If your LDL is around 100 to 110, you're probably around the 50th percentile of population data. And knowing that at least 50% of people develop heart disease, it makes sense to be on the lower end of the curve. So the lower, the better, even in primary prevention. One concept that's been suggested in cardiology is something called plaque years. This is age times LDL. The key is to keep the product below 5,000. So by starting early in prevention and through diet and lifestyle, trying to keep the number below 5,000 for as long as possible. Now, if you fall into the secondary prevention category, so that means someone with established atherosclerotic coronary artery disease, you want your LDL ideally below 55 to reduce further risk of progression of heart disease, heart attack, cardiac events. And so that's what we mean when we talk about the different in our LDL targets, whether it's primary or secondary prevention. 
And we'll talk about the different medications, as I mentioned, and different nutrition interventions in great detail in another episode. But it does stay true that the lower the LDL, the better. And prevention starts now. Whether you have heart disease or you don't, you can still always work on preventing further cardiovascular events. So what about triglycerides? Triglycerides on a lipid panel, they measure every triglyceride molecule circulating within every lipoprotein in your plasma. Most of the triglycerides is actually on the VLDL particles. And this is why if you ate a meal and started to measure triglyceride levels every 20 minutes for the next six hours, your triglycerides would go up right away and then come down quickly. Whereas LDL levels, as we discussed before, are similar for three to five days. That's why when we recommend for accurate triglycerides, we want a fasting lipid panel for blood work. So what's a normal triglyceride level? Labs will tell us greater than 150 is abnormal. But if we talk again about the population curve and you look at population data, if you look at the same bell-shaped population curve, if you have triglycerides of around 75, you're probably hitting the 50th percentile, maybe around the 80s, about 50th percentile. Triglycerides of 130 or 140, probably in the 80th percentile. If you have high triglycerides, it can be valuable to check an APOB. This is one of the reasons why triglycerides are a risk factor. It can be telling you that you have too many APOB particles. And APOB particles are the ones that are delivering the cholesterol to the wall, not triglycerides. So triglycerides, is it important to keep your triglycerides low? Absolutely. but We'll talk about the reason why we don't target triglycerides the way we target LDL cholesterol the same way with medications. It's a little different, and we'll talk about that in one of the follow-up episodes. But remember, keeping your values on the lower end of things is just a safe precautionary principle to stick with through diet, lifestyle, and healthy life habits. Next is non-HDL cholesterol, and it is what you think it is. So it's measuring your cholesterol that's not in your HDL particles. So that means it's counting all of the cholesterol in your LDL, IDL, VLDL particles and subtracting HDL cholesterol from total cholesterol. The number you wind up with is pretty much the best surrogate to clue us in to an ApoB number. As I've mentioned over and over again, ApoB tells us how many LDL particles we have. LDL particle count and ApoB are highly correlated with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So what about the myth about small LDL particles versus large LDL particles? Have you ever heard of this? And if you have, you may find this topic confusing. There's many rumors out there that if it's a large, fluffy LDL particle, it doesn't matter and it doesn't cause heart disease. This is false. The idea that LDL particle size impacts its atherogenicity is a total myth. So let's get into it. So what really drives LDL particles into the artery wall is the particle number, the ApoB, right? So as we've mentioned time and time again in this episode, typically 90% of your ApoB lipoproteins are LDL particles. Once you exceed a certain threshold in the plasma, the liver can't clear them. So they go into the arteries. But when particle numbers such as ApoB, LDL particles are discordant from cholesterol metrics, so that's LDL cholesterol, this is where people get mixed up. But remember this, risk always traffics with the particle number and the ApoB. 
Here's an example we can work through to understand small versus large LDL particles, risk, and discordance. So big LDL cholesterol particles, they carry more cholesterol molecules than very small LDLs. LDLs are meant to carry cholesterol. As we discussed before, 80% plus is cholesterol and 10 to 20% is triglycerides. So if your LDL is having a high percentage of triglycerides, there's less room to carry cholesterol. So as someone's triglycerides go up, they will have more triglyceride-rich LDL particles. And although their LDL cholesterol may be reported as lower than you'd guess, their APOB will then be high because there will be more small, dense LDL particles needed to carry the cholesterol. This means more APOB lipoproteins. This means just because the LDL cholesterol is lower than you'd have estimated, they can still have high APOB and cardiovascular risk. But remember, it always traffics with LDL particle, most importantly. On the other end of the spectrum, patients with familial hypercholesterolemia, they can have large, fluffy LDLs with high LDL particles and ApoB, and they have high cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, especially if left untreated. So LDL size in and of itself is not an independent predictor of cardiovascular risk. You can't say that small LDL particles are more atherogenic than large LDL particles or vice versa. Risk traffics with particle numbers, and what matters is your ApoB and your LDL particle number. Remember, in the majority of cases, your ApoB, your LDL particles, and your LDL cholesterol will be concordant, meaning LDL cholesterol from a traditional lipid panel very often can be a great marker of cardiovascular risk. When it's not the best marker of cardiovascular risk and where you may request an ApoB or LDL particles, but ApoB is the ideal test, the, the discordance is at highest probability when you have some sort of metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance or diabetes and when triglycerides are incredibly high. Maybe worthwhile checking an ApoB. So this has been quite a detailed podcast episode about lipids, cholesterol, and biochemistry. I know it's a lot to absorb, but it's the foundation for the rest of the upcoming episodes on this series. So during this series, we're going to talk more about cholesterol screening and when should we start screening and in what intervals should we be testing it. We're also going to discuss proven nutrition interventions that can reduce LDL and ApoB. We'll discuss different medical therapies and how they work, as well as new medical therapies that are on the horizon. We will also discuss LP little a in great detail and more. So stay tuned. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness fad you'd like debunked next, and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction, and be sure to tune in next week.